Welcome to the Intern Whisperer, the show all about the future of work. So today's guest is Mark Fronmeyer, CEO and founder of Archimoto. Welcome, Mark, to the Intern Whisperer. Very glad to have you here. Well, Isabella and Caesar, thank you so much for having me on the show. So we're going to just jump right into it. The first part of our show, it's all about... Um, we talk about your business and what's going on with it and how did you get that idea. It's really a, a great place for you to showcase what's going, how you started it. Um, the second part, we talk about the future of work and industry. So um, please share with our listeners about your educational background, work history, whatever you want to tell us about your startup story and how you got to where you are now. Well, well, I played with Legos as a child quite a bit, and I think that was probably really my, my only real qualification for starting up an electric vehicle company other than uh, going to Berkeley and getting a degree in electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, but I, when, when I was in school and, and really growing up, I was very focused on computer programming. So I made, uh, my, my folks got an Apple II when I was uh, seven years old and I just sort of um, became entranced by the machine and learning how to self-taught uh, programmer um, became a game developer. Actually, for, for quite a few years, I worked in the commercial games business. Um, started a company in 2000, right around 2000, 2001, called Garage Games uh, to make game technology and to help people who wanted to build independent games bring their games to market. Uh, and then we sold that company in 2007. And that's really what provided the resources to, to start Arkimoto. Um, although at that time, I didn't have any idea that I would actually start an electric vehicle company. I, I went looking for an electric vehicle to buy. I wanted to, I wanted to buy an electric vehicle. Um, I was at that point a bicycle commuter and uh, had, had recently gotten a house. And there, I just realized there were, there were times when I needed a, a, a vehicle, a larger, slightly larger vehicle than my bicycle to uh, get across town in a more sedentary way or to go to you know, the home improvement store and, and pick up, uh, you know, home, home improvement project materials or whatever. Um, and so, so that, that was, it was, Archimoto really came from a, a sort of a, a consumer need, um, it, which is that I went looking for a vehicle and I couldn't find it. Uh, I went looking in the market for, I didn't want a full-size car. Um, I, I wanted something that was much more human scale uh, I wanted something that was much more efficient. I wanted something that was affordable, so that if I adopted it, that you know it could uh, it, it could help move the needle on the climate problem. Um, and I was sort of uh, amazed that in in the year two thousand seven, uh, that there was no affordable, efficient, everyday electric vehicle in the marketplace that that I could just go buy. Um, and it wasn't until I saw I saw a kit vehicle, a kit three wheeled vehicle in a parade called the Bug E. Uh, and it was this, that was kind of the, the, the first light bulb moment of Arkimoto was, was seeing this vehicle that sort of took from both categories. So um, much, much smaller and lighter weight than a car, but stable on the road, had some protection from the elements and the drivers had big grins on their faces. And as they were just zipping down the road on battery power and it, what that light bulb, I guess, really illuminated was this giant gap between the motorcycle and bicycle and the car. Uh, and just that there was really nothing in that space in the market to speak of. So that's really what started the ball rolling of Arkimoto. 
I have so many questions based on what you just shared. So many. So you mentioned um, that they're you know fairly lightweight. How how much do they weigh? So the the production Arkimoto FUV weighs one thousand three hundred pounds, uh, which is about a third of the weight of a typical car. Um, it's it is we we in, our our original target uh, was uh, you know for, for Arkimoto was one thousand four hundred sixty. So we beat that, and of course then we set a new target, which is uh, a sub one thousand one hundred pound vehicle, which we we aim to get to uh, within a couple of years. So when you say they zip, how fast can, what is the fastest they can go? Because I'm wondering is, is it like a kite? Is it gonna be lifting off the ground? I'm concerned. Well, the, the nice thing about having a, having the battery is the battery really provides a lot of ballast for the vehicle. It's, you've got this heavy battery pack that's right on the base plane of the vehicle and then the drivetrain in the front. So that makes it, that helps keep it really planted on the road. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, you know, the, it's, it's a, the Arkhamoto is a motorcycle. Uh, it can go on all the roads. It has a top speed, we say, of 75 miles an hour. Um, although we've, we've seen people out there push it a little bit beyond that. Uh, but it's really, it's designed for everyday trips. So if you think about the, the kind of the, the golf cart class, the neighborhood electric class of vehicles, where you're limited to 25 or 35 miles an hour, that really locks you into, you know, just really just sort of your neighborhood. Um, what the Arkhamoto lets you do is get on uh, the, the higher speed expressways or the, the large avenues that, that, that take you all through the community. Um, and we see that as an important characteristic for something that's going to sort of uh, be a real everyday solution for the wide range of everyday trips. So how, how does it protect the driver? Because I, I would think that vehicles have to have some kind of a cage around the people. As you, you have a you have a, a, a space frame around you uh, that that has uh, you know so it actually the roof passes uh, the roof crush test for cars um, you have uh, uh, seat belts uh, two uh, two three point seat belts for both passengers um, but you got to also recognize that you are a much smaller vehicle than the than the typical vehicles around you so. Uh, the, the real advantage of the Arkhamoto being that, that you know, with, from within the class of, of, of motorcycle type vehicles is that you sit up actually higher than you would in, uh, in a typical car. You actually sit up about the height uh, that you would in a crossover SUV, um, which gives you a lot of visibility of the road. And you know, the, the big challenge with small vehicles is just that they're, they're often hard for people to see. And so having a, a more elevated position for the occupants means that you're you're easier to see on the road. Yeah, I can see that that would be um, something that was a concern. So you've really thought through quite a bit of this and and I'm thinking of, you know, vehicles because it's, it's a little bit reminiscent when I've seen it and I've asked Caesar to pull up some pictures so we can do some screen sharing here while we're on it and show off all of this great, great stuff that you have that you're um, telling our listeners about. But I would think that you've, you've thought through since you're an engineer, my dad was an engineer, I know how they're wired usually, and they go, okay, what if, what if, what if, what if, and you think of all of the problems to make it work. So it can't necessarily lift off the ground. You did mention one that was about, you know, the size of it. 
it reminds me a little bit of like a, a golf cart, but it's it's larger than a golf cart, and I'm sure faster than a golf cart too, because you said it can go 75. You can, yeah, and that was really you know the first seven years of Arkimoto was really all about iterating to find the right idea. Um, we I we started with a three wheeled kit vehicle, two wheels in front, one wheel in back, um, but we actually went through eight distinct new product concept vehicles that we built, uh, you know, all the way into functioning prototypes uh, to get to what was ultimately the right idea. And, and it was really all about identifying, you know, what is it that the everyday driver needs? What, what, is, what are sort of the utility needs of the everyday driver? Uh, it needed to carry two people. We, uh, the first several vehicles we built were one-seaters. And we, when we put them in front of potential customers, they said, you know, I've got to be able to carry somebody else. And you think about it, you get you get this new cool electric vehicle, kind of the first thing you want to do is take a friend for a ride or take your partner for a ride or or or, or you know go out with somebody and so 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 even though most of us drive alone most of the time having the ability to carry somebody else comfortably is really mm -hmm. a requirement for the mass market. Um, and that that balance of being able to carry a lot of stuff so I'm I'm six four. I'm kind of our sizing dummy for the vehicle. I fit very comfortably front seat and back seat, uh, and then you can carry you know a few bags of groceries in the back as well. Um, that that ability to carry a lot of stuff on a very small platform that is lightweight, maneuverable. Um, that was really what took us. Uh, you know, it, it took years of experimentation to get the right formula. For, for just the basic architecture of the vehicle. And that's, I mean, that, that is, it's, it's the foundation of our intellectual property uh, portfolio is really just a, a new vehicle architecture. Mm. That's a uh, really, really good stuff. So Caesar, you can go ahead and share the screen. I'm not sharing, so you can do that with no problem. Just hit share screen and uh, have your pictures up and we'll talk about those. So. There's a back seat. Is it safe? Does it pass the safety standards for children to be in also? Are there seat belts? So th there are seat belts. We have a recommendation about sort of the, you've got to be of a minimum height uh, okay. so that you can touch, uh, touch the floor and that you're, you know, it's sort of like you got to be this height to, to, to ride this ride. Um, and then it, because it is a motorcycle, there are certain state regulations that govern whether children can be on the back of a motorcycle. And so we encourage, mm -hmm. obviously, folks to follow the laws in their jurisdiction. So our, our viewers can definitely see this. Um, does it have a trunk also, I would think, yeah, if it's got yeah, back so seats? The, what you've got on the screen right now is, is a vehicle that we call the Deliverator, uh, which is our... Uh, it, it's it's a it's more of a utility vehicle. It's for fleets. It's for last mile delivery. So in this case, this one uh, doesn't have a back seat. That whole back half of the vehicle is stored. It's about 23 cubic feet of storage, and that's for um, it's for delivery of groceries. As you know, during the pandemic, grocery delivery has kind of gone to the moon. Uh, same thing with meal delivery uh, and and small parcels as well. Um, the Deliverator also is just a, a very good general purpose fleet vehicle for a wide range of, of fleet type missions. Uh, go ahead, uh, Caesar, and pull up another picture while we're um, going through this. I chose that one because it was Wahlburgers and I've had their burgers and I like them very much. Sadly, they are no longer here in Orlando. So it was disappointing. Uh -huh. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, th that was a that was actually one of our very first deliberators. Uh, went to uh, the new Wahlburgers franchise in Key West. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, they it's you know, the, the deliberator makes a very good branding platform uh, as well as a as a delivery vehicle. And so this is this one is a, an image of the fun utility vehicle. This is the our, our flagship consumer product. So t uh, seats two uh, comfortably front and back. Um, and again, you've got two seat belts for both passengers. So it's kind of the, the, the it aims to be a, a roughly equivalent to having a four point harness, but much easier to get in and out of. Okay, so when you're saying front and back, it's like I would be the driver, but my whoever I'm taking with me is behind me, right? So they're not beside me like in a car, they're behind me. Yeah, and that's be, it's partly because of you know, it's really in order to get the vehicle to have a very small footprint, uh, which mm -hmm. makes it very easy to park and very maneuverable, is that you want to bring, uh, if you're going to have a, a narrower track width, you want to have the passengers on the center line of the vehicle rather than side by side. Uh, so you sit mm -hmm. more like you would on a motorcycle, which is front and back, rather than a car, which is typically side by side. Yeah, I see that now too. So um, does it have, because if it's raining, do I have flaps or something I can put around myself? Yeah, like you think about it like a Jeep. Uh, if, you've, if you've got a, a nice yeah. day, you, know, you ride it open. Uh, we have half doors that are almost ready to ship out. We've got uh, a few, actually a few different options for uh, protection from the elements. And we've got one that's just a very simple kind of uh, lap cover that protects you from spray on the road and protects your lap. I mean, the, the, uh, a lot of the time, if, you, if you've got the right apparel on to be outside at all, you, you stay very dry in, in the FUV. Um, and then down the road, we see the, uh, uh, the, the market need for you know, more of a fully enclosed uh, automotive styled doors that you'd be able to add on. Mm -hmm. And I see it's got headlights, obviously, and all of that. So once you said a motorcycle, I was going, okay, I can definitely see it. But like the the motorcycles that really have, I guess, a sidecar because those are like the tricycle ones that are like this, right? Yeah, and the what you the, there's a real advantage to having two wheels in front on a three wheeler versus having one in front and two in back. Mm -hmm. uh, the The drive system in the Arkimoto is on the front wheel, so it has two motor, uh, one motor for each of the two front wheels. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're you're driving, you're steering, and your braking all happens on those front wheels. Um, which, which is a, a much more stable configuration than if you have one wheel in front and two wheels in back, which is what you would have if you had a sidecar uh, on a typical motorcycle or if you had kind of one of the old school trikes. Mm -hmm. How many um, images do you have, Caesar? Is it like three? You have one more? I have one more, I have one more. Okay, perfect. And it looks like the, the lights were red. So are they standard white lights in the front, the headlights? Yeah, you've got two, two headlights in the front and then some marker lights that are, that are orange. Oh, okay. okay. Improve visibility of the vehicle. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this. Okay, so this one's super cool too. I love your logo. So since we're looking at this, before you start talking about the car, Tell me about the logo. Where did this name come from? And it looks like it's an angel. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's so it's uh, uh, the uh, the name Arkimoto. I was I was looking for a name that started with the letter A uh, because a vehicle company is hard enough that you might as well sort at the top of the list. 
Um, I wanted something that evoked electricity and mobility. So arc originally represented electricity, I, and then moto is drive. Um, and then every manufacturer under the sun said they were going to do electrics. So arc became archetype or the arc of the future. So the brand Arcimoto means future I drive. Ah, very nice. And I, I, when I was pondering without doing any research on it, I was actually sitting here thinking of the very same thing. I'm thinking an arc like in electricity, you know, how it arcs across. And then motor, I was going, okay, that's got to be motor. So I yep. could see it. What, but you really, the, what I realized also is you really don't want your, you, you don't want any electric arcs in an electric vehicle. That's arcing is actually a bad thing. So um, that's that's where it, it switched more to, to yeah. And Archimoto sounds Japanese anyway, too. Uh, it's got a Japanese pronunciation. It has a, the, the Italian pronunciation is Archimoto. Uh, and then <laughs> there's the dyslexic pronunciation as well. Ah, you know, uh, because you mentioned that you started with games, I find that really intriguing because I have a game also. I have a game and video company aside from this one. But um, Japanese, I am so amazed with all of their innovation and I love their anime and everything that they do. So I was fully expecting that was going to be your backstory. And I was going, no, I don't even want to look it up. I want to be surprised when you share it. So I could be genuinely going, okay, was this right? <laughs> so super cool. So tell us about this vehicle. It looks similar to the Wahlburgers one, I'm going yeah, to say. This is our actually our very first deliberator pilot vehicle. Um, which, uh, which we put on the road in March of last year. And again, the, the, the whole purpose of the Deliberator is, and, and we're seeing the, the, the massive shift of, of delivery of goods to just in time uh, and, a, and a push towards electrification. And this is everyone from you know, Amazon to Grubhub to uh, Uber Eats to your grocery store. Um, yeah, it's not going to work for Lyft or Uber, though, when you're carrying people, but it's that the uh, the rideshare vehicle for for people would be a would be a, a different variant. Yeah, it sure would be. Um, we targeted about at, at last mile delivery. I see that NASDAQ logo on the bottom. I was in NASDAQ's milestone maker program. Um, so I'm curious, are you did you go through their program or because you're on the stock exchange? What? I, I, I'm not I'm not familiar with that program, but Arkimoto is a publicly listed company where FUV is both the name of our flagship product, the fun utility vehicle, and our ticker on NASDAQ. Very nice, very nice. So a little shout out to the NASDAQ people. Um, okay, well, since um, there was another question I had, and we had covered most of them, the safety ones were the ones that I was uh, really interested in. But um, you plug this in, how long does the energy last on it? It's got a hundred mile city driving range. So yeah, and you think about the fact that people are driving on average about 30 miles a day. So the, the, the basic model is you plug it in when you get home and every morning you've got a full tank. Uh, there, there will certainly be uh, outliers, but for just the vast majority of everyday trips, plenty of, plenty of juice. Yeah. How much does it go for? What's the ballpark range? The starting price is seventeen thousand nine hundred. Uh, as it's we achieve so true mass production, we want to continue to make it more affordable. And it really, affordability has has been uh, sort of the 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 point all along. Um, yeah. you, you know, if uh, 
if, if your only options are very expensive electric cars, then that just, it, it just ices out a whole, uh, the, the vast majority of the market. And mm -hmm. so you know, the really the thought behind Arkimoto is how can we in the most environmentally efficient way possible in the most affordable way possible solve the, 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 the wide majority of everyday trips. And mm -hmm. that's really what the platform and company are all about. I could see this having such huge global appeal because I've been to many um, third world countries like the Dominican Republic. And I don't know if anybody else considers it third world, but it was to me. And they were riding around on motorcycles and they would have, I don't know, like another person right behind them. This would be so much more, I, I would think they'd say even luxurious, but um, they would truly, I think, benefit from it. And I see it like things like this, like in the Keys, you know, so yep. you should be going like gangbusters, I would well, think. Our, our very first rental operation is, is open in Key West. Uh, and, it, and it really is a fantastic island destination vehicle. Uh, it's also a fantastic New York City vehicle. I mean, it's just because it can get through traffic uh, so much more easily than a car and you can park it so much more easily than a car. Um, it makes for it for a really, uh, you know, one of the worst parts of driving is dealing with traffic and parking. So uh, when, you can, when you can help make those problems better, um, it really has a, has, a, has a much wider potential. But um, the, 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 the truth is that the, this platform, it really does hit, I mean, all you gotta do is stand on a busy street corner watching the cars go by. And it's just one person, one person, one person and 4,000 pounds of steel that take up you know, like a hundred square feet of space. One right. afternoon. So um, the, you know, right-sizing that footprint has, has a lot of potential downstream benefit. Oh my God, I just kind of reimagine what parking would be like in so many places. And I think that people would be more cautious um, probably in this vehicle than they would be in a regular size one because they're, they're paying attention, I would think more. Yeah, you're, you're just so much, you, it really does bring you into a state of presence and awareness when you drive it. Um, yeah. you're, you're right in the middle of the experience, you're in the world. Uh, you can see what's going on around you. And it just, it, it is a very different experience than driving a car. Does it have a heater if it's cold it's got, outside? It's got a, a heater has got heated seats and heated hand grips. Um, so as long as you're appropriately dressed to be outside, you're going to stay, uh, stay warm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this very much. So I could see it being um, somebody, a parent giving this to their child as maybe a, a first car to make them more aware of what's going on and a way to help make sure that they're not maybe going out drinking and driving, things like that. The huge benefits in other areas that, you know, people may not have thought about. So super you cool. Uh, you certainly won't have your kid taking five other teenagers around in the FUV, hopefully. Yeah, that is very, well, yeah, they're not going to fit in there. <laughs> Just two people in there. Um, okay, so your mission, why, I mean, obviously you, you've really driven that one home that you wanted to create a something that was going to be more economical and also not going to be taking advantage of the resources that we have in our planet and our world. Um, but you, you mentioned a number of things, you know, pricing and making sure that there's lack of 
uh, we're not polluting our environment, but is there anything else in this when you were thinking about your mission that you wanted to be able to bring to the world? I think that part of being a startup is that you want to leave um, the world a better place in some way and, you know, make your mark. Absolutely. No, I, I, I mean, the Arkimoto's mission is to catalyze the shift to a sustainable transportation system. We don't believe that that will happen until the solutions are affordable. And we think that a, a big piece of that puzzle for the vehicles that we drive around is how much material and how much space do they take up? So it, it is, you know, I think it's, it's, it's sort of, it definitely includes electrification. So the electric drive is three times as efficient as a gas powered engine and has zero tailpipe emissions. But electric drive is, it's sort of necessary, but not sufficient. It's the, the Archimoto says, let's really think about you know, how much other stuff do we need to take around with us everywhere we go? Uh -huh. um, and for me, you know, 200 pound guy on a good day, um, carrying 4,000 extra pounds of metal that are highly refined extractive uh, resources in order to go get a cup of coffee is just insane. And when you multiply that times everybody, that, that's what everybody is doing. Right. That's why we end up paving over basically half of our urban landscape, half mm. um, paved over to move and park cars. Um, and you, know, you just think about what, what would the world be like? What would our cities be like if we had more human scale transportation solutions? I think they'd be a lot better. And yeah. that's really, that's the vision that Arkimoto is, is pushing towards. How, um, to put these type of, if you didn't have it at your home, and obviously you need to have some charging stations around. I live in Orlando, Florida, over at Winter Park, which is just a hop and a skip away. Um, we have charging stations at the, the campus, the college that I went to. Um, I was also told by Glenn, who um, is, I don't know if he's considered a partner. I'm not really sure, but you know that's how I got to you is through Glenn, who's part of the Avalon Park um, Innovation Group. I know he mentioned that um, you guys have a, a fleet of them here in Orlando. But I'm sorry, you I interrupted you. What were you just going to say about Glenn? Glenn uh, had a, a, a consulting business called EV Transports, and we're now working with him uh, really to help bring Arkimoto to Florida in a big way. Yeah, and he, he had shared that this is actually in the downtown Orlando area. So I was yeah. trying to figure out where it is. Um, I don't know if you know or not, but I wanted to go check them out and or see if they were in Winter Park. Well, we're, you know, we're actually going to be in Daytona uh, okay. for, uh, for Bike Week starting okay. Friday uh, of, of this week, so Friday, March 5th. My brother is a big biker and he lives right over there. So I, I'm, are you going to have a booth or something somewhere? So we've teamed up, we were, uh, we have teamed up with uh, Corbin Pacific. Mm -hmm. uh, they make our seats and they are, uh, we're uh, working with them on a new vehicle project called the Roadster, which is, which is the Arkimoto without a cage. So it's a much more, much more motorcycle like version of, uh, of the Arkimoto platform. And so we'll actually be at the Corbin store uh, during bike week. And they've got it, they're right down there near the promenade is my understanding. Mm. Okay, well, I'm gonna go visit my brother this upcoming weekend so I can go find 
uh, one of the locations. I'm pretty sure it's going to be an easy Google search over there. Um, so, hey, Caesar, you can go ahead and take it down, or if you find something else that you want to share, feel free. Um, all right, so we, we covered a lot of those things. Fun utility vehicle, FUV. Did you think of that? Is that your idea there too? I did not. Uh, it was actually a, a, a couple of the guys on our team. We, we often led with sustainability when we were talking about Arkhamoto, and this is for years. Um, and, you know, just the, the, the need to move to a sustainable transportation system, how efficient our vehicles were. Uh, but what people kept saying over and over and over again when they had a chance to drive was just how much fun they were. Um, and, you know, people get out of the driver's seat saying, this is the most fun thing I've ever driven. I, you mm -hmm. know, they, you know, drive and, and yelp with uh, excitement. And so um, this is uh, John Fries and Jeremy Bronson were, uh, this is right when we were making our product video back in 2016. And they were kind of convincing at the end of the night and, said, you know, this, this is our answer to the SUV. So this thing, we should, we need to lead with fun. This thing is so much fun. We shouldn't, you know, we, we shouldn't run away from it. We should just lead with it. And so that was really, you know, the, the, where, where the fun utility vehicle was born um, is that, you know, we think that the world needs a lot fewer SUVs and a lot more FUVs. So what year was that then? This was 2016. So we Okay, so not that long ago. No, this was a, this was, we had, we had put uh, our, our looks like, works like prototypes on the road uh, and we were gearing up to go public in order to build out the factory and actually begin production. Hmm. Very interesting. So uh, one of the other questions, uh, Caesar did some really good research here and he found that there was the California clean fuel reward of $1,500. Um, to help offset the purchase of that. Is that for every person that lives in California? How does that work? Do you know? So, so if you live in California you buy, and you buy an Arkhamoto, you get 1500 bucks off. Uh, we're working with a coalition of partners to expand the federal tax credit so that it applies to Arkhamoto vehicles as well. Uh, and again, that all just comes back to if the solution is more affordable. I mean, we, we really see um, this is, as a transportation equity issue. I, mm -hmm. that, that uh, clean solutions should not just be for the well-to-do, but should actually be practical and affordable for everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, so, so that we, we are very glad that, the, that California is taking a leadership role. Um, the state of Oregon has a $2,500 incentive that applies to the Arkhamoto. Um, you know, if you start to add that, if the, you know, if the federal government jumps in um, with a piece of that, then suddenly you know, you're talking about something that could be uh, in the twelve to $15,000 price range, depending yeah, on Yeah, so affordable too. So affordable. Well, I, I really, really like that quite a bit. Um, let me see if there's anything, Caesar. I know that I covered all of these questions in our first half, but did you, I pretty much monopolized, monop, yeah, mon, monopolized the conversation. What would you like to ask? Is there something that you have? And if not, that's okay. Yeah, you probably mentioned it, but what plans does he have? To, what plan do you have to extend the incentive program like nationally? Because I know it's in California right now, and Oregon hasn't. So what's what are you trying to do, like to expand in some sort of way? Well, yeah, we, I, we're actively lobbying in a, a number of states where we have a lot of pre-order customers. Uh, so that includes Florida and Washington and um, and a few others to to 
to make sure that we're part of whatever clean vehicle programs that they have, to make sure that our customers can easily register and license their vehicles. Um, and and that's, that's really just part of being a, a new manufacturer of a new kind of vehicle is it's just a lot of education work with uh, the powers that be um, to, uh, to, to make sure that there's an easy path for our customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes uh, really good sense. So we're going to take just a, a minute to take a brief pause for our sponsor. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So back to our show where we focus on the future of work, industry forecasts, and an internship for employers. So I'm going to save that tip for a little bit later in the show here. So when I was doing some research, I found that the International Energy Agency projects that the global number of battery-powered and hybrid vehicles could increase from just over 5 million to nearly 140 million by 2030. That is crazy to me. I don't know how many cars are sold in the world, but I'm sitting here thinking that's a lot of vehicles. Well, right around 100 million cars are sold every year, if you can believe it. Wow. Um, and, and one of the, you know, one of the, again, the real sort of advantages of the Arkimoto is that it's just a much smaller vehicle. And where that really makes a difference are things like batteries and electric motors, where you have a real supply chain constraint. Uh, and and the the EV market right now is 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 going to be held back by the availability of raw materials for batteries. The Arkimoto has a battery that's about a quarter of the size of a typical electric car battery, which means you can build four Arkimotos with the same amount of material that you can build one electric car. Oh my and God, that's crazy! You think that that electric car is probably just going to be used for one person to drive around and get a cup of coffee. Uh, it makes a lot more sense to build more small vehicles than fewer, much larger vehicles. So if you can take one made car right now, one car that we have and make four Arkimotos, I would think if I was looking at parking spaces, I'm going to go back to what we were talking about earlier, is the standard parking spaces probably could fit three I would think you can park three Arkimotos in one parallel parking spot. That is crazy. Which also means that you can park it in places where you wouldn't ever be able to park a car. I mean, yeah. you get the, the little triangles in the parking lot that you can't fit a car in. That's perfect for an Arkimoto. Uh, you know, you just end up being able to find, we, we call this feature rockstar parking come standard because you just get great parking wherever you go. Yeah, but it's a regular tire also, right? It's not like... The well, little donut size. They're very, they're, they're, they're narrow, sort of the narrowest, uh, most efficient car tires that we could find. Oh, gosh, I'm so excited. I really want to go see one now. Uh, and I'm assuming that people can test drive them in wherever these are, they're, they are currently located. Typically, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why we have rental as, as our in, entry, market entry model is that, you know, if you, if you're in a nice place where they're, they're available for rent, you can rent one and drive it around and experience it for yourself. Uh, and then we also offer uh, test drives at various events. Um, 
you know, factory tours uh, when, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and then uh, we've got uh, once also once we're out of the pandemic proper, then that's when we'll, we'll resume sort of the nationwide tour of test drives. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is a competitor, but I've seen zip cars. I know that they're electronic electric cars also. And so with that said, you know, I know that they've got a couple of um, charging stations throughout in Winter Park. I honestly don't see them in Orlando. So I'm not sure where they're keeping them. If it's the Orlando city government, then, you know, they've got them tucked away where it's not open and accessible to the public. Um, but I want to go back to this question. Um, to create charging stations, typically when you have gas stations, you have to dig up the ground, put a big thing in the ground, a bladder, if you will, whatever, a tank to hold the gas and all of that. There's no, it can't be nearly as disruptive. It's got to be like just laying a charge, right? An electric cable. And, and really the, the, the infrastructure for electric vehicle charging is really already here. It's the, it's the electrical grid mm-hmm. is the bulk of the infrastructure that you need to fuel electric vehicles. The, the charging stations are really sort of, uh, you know, very fancy plugs. They are, they are. Or do you see having something that's gonna be solar powered on the vehicle also? Oh, sure. Yeah, we, we, we've had a lot of customers request a, a solar roof option where you have solar power on the roof that's trickle charging the battery. Uh, that's something that we see down the road. Um, and then, you know, you could obviously plug it into a, a, a battery bank that's being powered by solar as well. Yeah, I've seen even um, people have backpacks that are solar charged for their phones. So I, I can easily see how you could adapt that that particular need, that the whole vehicle could maybe be that charging station, essentially. Is there any type of concern health-wise of, of how electricity interacts with people, like, you know, if they have pacemakers or whatever? So, so one of the pieces that we, we had to go through um, was, was, uh, was electromagnetic interference testing right. uh, to, to, to actually have the vehicle on the market. So we, we did a bunch of EMI, EMC testing uh, as part of our certification process. Mm, yeah, I would think that would be a, a big part of it. And then do you see this being uh, something that sounds like a child could drive it earlier than 16, but certainly you have to have a license to be able to drive on the road. I mean, I get that part of it, but you said that it had a handle, kind of like I think how bikes do. It's got handlebars. Uh, and it's it, it's very easy to learn how to operate. It does require a license to operate right. it on the road. So, um, you know, I, I definitely see that someday down the road we'll make a make something that's more in the you know bicycle slash scooter class of vehicles that wouldn't require mm-hmm. a license. But this one, yeah, they have plenty of those little scooters. They're all the way downtown, and I see kids driving them just as easily as like teenagers and whatnot. So I could see it would have a big appeal for for them also. So the next statistic that I pulled up is at the rate that electric vehicles will begin to cost the same as their fossil fuel counterparts between 2025 and 2029. Depending on the vehicle type, these just in time are, are easy targets. But in 2030, Bloomberg predicts that there's 26 million um, electric vehicles will be sold annually, representing 28% of the world's new cars sold. So when I look at that, and I'm thinking about 2030, that's, you know, 
it sounds so far away, but you're already bringing these out into the market. And we should be seeing 28%. I mean, you know, we're looking at a quarter of the vehicles out in the world. Well, I, I, I actually think it's going to come faster than that. I think we're, yeah. the cost is coming down uh, on, on batteries, the, the, the push on every governmental level out there uh, to, to, to really address climate change and carbon emissions. I would not be surprised if half the vehicles sold in 2030 are electric. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would easily see that. Yeah, I can see this being a really big um, piece of legislation, but also something that I would hope both Democrats and Republicans would get behind regardless of their political parties. But I think one party might prefer it over the other. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, what do you think that the future of the industry looks like, you know, five to 10 years from now? And we've already talked about it, like 2030, just from these statistics. But do you think that these are like spot on or, you know? I, I think they're going to be, well, I, I, it's, it's very hard to predict um, because given the, the pace of change and the level of disruption that's happening, uh, there are the, the, uh, the, the push to self-driving vehicles, I think will will bear real fruit in that time frame. So we'll have likely multiple providers of autonomous vehicle solutions that can drive you where you want to go or that can show up uh, when you need a vehicle. Um, and that's that's really key for a number of reasons. Obviously, safety on the road uh, is huge, but also the ability to utilize a vehicle at a much higher rate than a car is typically used today. So vehicles today are parked 95% of their lives. Mm -hmm. They're rusting and depreciating and uh, you know, costing you money and insurance and, and all the rest. Um, and so, it, but if you have a vehicle that can drive itself, then it's much easier to use that as part of a service of vehicles. And so if we can get to the point where we're cranking out you know, tens of millions of self-driving cars every year, you actually need many fewer of them to serve the, 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 the vehicle riding public, right? Maybe somewhere like a 10th of the number of vehicles needed or, or a fifth. So if you, you know, today we've got one car for every man, woman, and child in America, like something like 300 million cars on the road. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy. And yeah. then we've got six parking spaces for every car. Um, so if you think about a world where you've got a vehicle, a vehicle, whatever vehicle you need can show up on demand that you can either drive or that can take you where you need to go. Um, I think in, in the year you know, 2030, we could have produced enough of those vehicles to serve 80% of the transportation needs of the public in the United States. My dad, I was talking with my dad about your particular um, product and because he was a mechanical engineer, he was in the defense industry. Um, and so I was talking with him about cars and just transportation. And he said, this is what he thinks is that um, because so many people have gone to remote work and they're you know now working from home, there will be obviously less need for having vehicles. Uh, more people may move into the downtown areas. And again, cost alone for parking is ridiculous in a downtown area. So he feels that what will happen is the government's going to come in and potentially buy cars back from people. 
And then if they need a vehicle, they'll, they will like something larger than you know, what you're providing as a solution, they would turn around and um, rent them from the government instead. So now the government becomes the world's largest uh, Hertz dealership, I guess, if you will. Interesting. Well, that's, yeah. you know, that's the, the thing. If, if I want to, if I want a pickup truck, I don't usually need a pickup truck. No, once, you might rent it. Once in a while, uh, I need to go pick up a yard of dirt or something like that. That's when you'd want to rent it and you'd want to have it be very convenient on an app that just sort of shows up when you need it. And then you, you're done with it and you, off it goes onto its next mission. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so, so that whether it's a government owned fleet, I mean, I, we can certainly see um, instances where, and, and you know, we're talking with ma mass transit providers who are looking at, at ways where, where they're really figuring out that they're not in the bus business, they're in the mobility business. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 in a lot of cases, you have a, a bus route that's dry, driven empty, you know, many hours out of the day. Then, you know, we ask, are, are, there, are there more efficient ways both in terms of cost and energy that you can solve the mobility problems for people that that bus serves. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, I, I think that begins to speak to the, the, the role of government in this next phase. Um, so is it, is it a, is it, does transport become like a publicly owned utility? Is it a, um, a, an arm of government? Is it private enterprise where you've got multiple networks of uh, robo taxis out duking it out for the, the lowest fare. Hard, hard to say at this point what the real winner is going to be. All, the, the main argument that Arkimoto is making is that whatever, uh, wh whoever is running that fleet, they should notice the fact that 80 to 85% of the trips just have one person in them and get vehicles that are appropriate for appropriately sized for that problem. You know, when I drive around, um, I, I always notice that there are there's a two-lane road. If you have, you know, two or more people in your car, then, you know, you can zip down. So that one person, you're absolutely spot on. I actually noticed that quite a bit. Secondly, um, one of the things that I, you, you posed another question when we were talking about this, is can it tow anything? Can you, is it possible that one of these vehicles can tow like a small jet ski, if you will, something of that size? Uh so we have a little uh, trailer. We've created a, a an attachment that we call, uh, and this is just a prototype. We call the Arkimoto that can tow a, a, a motorcycle trailer, um, and yeah, and and so you could definitely see the potential for carrying a lot more gear or having a utility trailer for for certain types of trips. Yeah, like for the person that wants to be mowing yards in the future still, it could put his little lawnmower in there and everything. The green landscaping company would have the electric lawnmower on the electric, you know, the trailer being pulled by the electric Arkimoto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be super cute. So I made a list of some of the car manufacturers that were coming around to what you're doing here. Uh, Ford, Volvo, um, Jaguar, um, Kia. And I have a Kia Sportage, so you know I found that all really interesting. They all seem to be getting behind this as a movement, whether it's um, more of the higher end cars. Do you think it's going to be something that, and I know it's not specific to what you're doing here, but um, I feel like there's going to be this place where car manufacturers are probably going to still merge together. And there might be just like one or two really 
luxury cars like Jaguar. And then there might be people drive trucks. When I was also doing research, it was like people either want trucks or they want just a, a regular car. So Ford had had an article out, I think it was last year I read, where they were actually eliminating some of the um, some of the vehicles that they've offered in the in the in the stores, and so it was going to be trucks as well as uh, I think it was going to be a Ford Focus. I think maybe it's a little bit larger car, but. Yeah. Do you think that they're all going to be downsizing to find this solution of providing something that's going to be a good footprint on our world? I, I think it is going to be interesting to see what happens to the legacy car makers in the next decade. Um, they've got a, it, it's, it's a very difficult transition to move from building internal combustion engine vehicles to building electric vehicles. And we know that that's a very difficult transition because the major OEMs have been talking about it for decades now and still haven't pulled it off. Um, you know, you've, you've got Tesla who's been working out there for 17 years mm -hmm. as an absolutely dominant position in the electric vehicle industry. Uh, and, and really none of the major OEMs uh, that, that started in, in you know, gas powered vehicles have come anywhere close. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of a classic innovator's dilemma problem, if, you've, if you're familiar with the, the work of Clayton Christensen, is that you have, on the one hand, you've, you've got a, this new electric vehicle um, idea, and then you've got 99% of your business being driven by uh, internal combustion. And the real advertising uh, push behind the electric vehicle is, is that the old products suck. They're, <laughs> they're noisy, they're polluted, they're inefficient, uh, bad for the planet. And so if, if, that's, if that's your message, I mean, it's very easy for Tesla to send that message because they don't, they're not reliant on their old product line to drive forward. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think that's been one of the factors, one of the main factors that's prevented that transition. Um, and, and also EVs are a, a, a real uh, technology puzzle. Um, when you think about connected, autonomous, uh, ultra-efficient electric vehicles, it really doesn't play to the strengths of the incumbent players and the incumbent business models. So I, I, I you know, I think I, there will be a time period where it's, it's in this transition where it may be very difficult for some of the existing players to survive that job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because I can see how this would also impact a lot of the other, I guess, transportation or services that are part of it. So body work, right? You know, if you're going to have smaller cars, you don't need to have big giant body shops anymore. You can obviously save a lot more money. I guess um, these types of electric cars, it, their lighter weight and everything, the maintenance on them should be a lot less also. And so that impacts probably, I would think mechanics and they're gonna to have to skill up in different ways there so they know how to take care of the cars, right? So I can see it impacting a lot of the touch points of what we are typically used to in our present world. Well, if you think about cars that can drive themselves, you, you think about every job that is driving. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a huge piece of the workforce. And Have you ever been in a car where it, where it drives you, the self-driving cars? Yeah, no, I, or, well, 
my, my mom has a Tesla. So really, I've, I've driven, uh, I had that car drive me uh, at various points. Did you, uh, I'm just curious, did you feel safe? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? You, you get very used to it very quickly. You're like, oh, this, I mean, when you're in a plane, uh, you, you, you typically, you don't think about having to be at the controls. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is, uh, um, you know, ultimately you end up feeling a lot safer. I think we will end up feeling a lot safer when all the vehicles are being driven by computers than when they're being driven by, you know, distracted drivers trying to get one more tweet out. Well, yeah, now I, I would definitely switch. I would definitely agree with you on that one. But I think that there's this one side of me, I, I think I'm super controlling now is where I'm realizing it. I feel safer driving it myself or with another human driving it than a car that is driving and I I don't have, I feel like any any control. So um, that's, that's the scary thing for me right now. Yeah. They'll have to make them super, super safe for me to be able to jump into one. Maybe if it's just going around the track and a. Well, I, anytime you're feeling uh, uh, lethargic or you're falling, you know, falling asleep as you're driving, that's when you immediately realize you'd much rather have a very alert computer. Okay, uh, your logic makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am totally on point with that one now. Yeah. So let's switch over to what would it be like for a student to intern at Archimoto? And I'm not sure what capacity it could be. I'm sure it could be in design, it could be in marketing, but um, what do you think that would look like? Because before we got on here, you had mentioned that you were pairing up an intern with one of your employees. We, uh, well, we, we had, we're, we're, we're in the initial formation process of a, of a true internship program. Um, but we had a, recently a, a gentleman out there just say, I really want to intern at your company. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I ended up uh, uh, creating a creating a program of one uh, so that so that we could bring them on board. But a lot of that was just about you know making sure that it was going to be a uh, a, a a worthwhile experience uh, for right. both the you know the intern and for the company. Uh, mm -hmm. And a lot of that had to do with finding the right person to to pair them up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does have to be somebody that likes to um, mentor, wants to mentor, enjoys being able to invest in another person because they find it rewarding, right? Yeah. Usually rewarding. Yeah. So uh, what internship, well, you've already answered that one. Um, what's the best piece of mentoring advice that you've received and who was a mentor in your, in your life that you might want to give a shout out to? So it's you know, can be one, both, either oh. of those. Um, you know, I, I I think probably the the mentor that I'd give a lot of uh, give give a shout out to is a former business partner of mine by the name of Jeff Tanell, uh, <clears throat> who really uh, took me to startup school, um, and uh, I, you know, I think Jeff was. Uh, always adamant that we work on things that we were passionate about. Um, and also uh, taught me to be ever mindful of, uh, of, of cash on hand. Um, and, uh, you know, don't, don't quit your day job until you figured out a good place to land. Um, and those, those have definitely stuck with me, but I, I've got, uh, you know, sort of countless teachers out there who've really helped help point the way. 
Mm, that is true. I know I've said that so many times too. Don't give up that day job until you actually are making the same amount of money. So it's a smooth transition. It is hard. Startup world is incredibly hard. Um, so how can our listeners find you? How can they contact you? All of that, social channels, whatever you wish to share. Yeah, uh, we're, we're at Arkimoto on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, info at Arkimoto.com is our uh, our, our main inbound email line. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the website is www.arcimoto.com. Very nice. So I'm going to wrap up the show with an intern tip for our employers. So today's intern whisper tip is the Department of Labor has seven criteria for unpaid internships. And the first one of those seven is that there is no promise to be paid. So as long as you make that disclaimer up front, you are going to be compliant out of one of those seven criteria. And so this is really more for our employees, but it's also good for interns to know what those seven criteria are. Um, so they go into the internship with their eyes wide open. Well, Mark, I wanna tell you, thank you so much for being a guest. I totally have enjoyed spending time with you. Um, I learned so much. I love your logo. I think your shirt is super cool. If there's a way to win one, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go follow you on all of your social channels. I'm going to make comments. And I am going to, I don't know, are you coming over here to Florida? Florida? Is there a chance to meet you? I am. I have no travel plans uh, at the moment. We the, the one guy on our team who is vaccinated is the one making the trip out there for this show. Um, but uh you know, I, I imagine I'll be making the rounds at some point uh, once once we're through this uh, this crazy pandemic. Okay. Well, thank you again.